Good morning. It's good to be with you on this side of the St Andrews live stream camera as we turn to Genesis chapter 15. Special shout out to my mum and dad and my mother-in-law who said they were going to join us for the first time. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 is possibly one of the most important verses in the Bible. And that means that Genesis chapter 15 is possibly one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Genesis 15 gets us to the heart of God's gracious promise to Abram that we saw back in Genesis chapter 12, which sets the trajectory for the rest of the Bible. So it's really important that we get a right understanding of this chapter. Otherwise, we'll be like the rocket on the launch pad that is supposed to go to the moon, but because it's fractionally off-centre at launch, it's going to miss the moon by thousands and thousands of kilometres. So let's get Genesis chapter 15 right. But first, how did we get here? In Genesis chapter 12, God made three promises to 75-year-old Abram. I'm a simple bloke and I've got a simple way to remember these three promises. I remember them as the NBL. God promised Abram a great nation of descendants. He promised blessing to the whole world and he promised Abram land. Chapter 15 sees God confirm these promises to Abram and enter into a binding contract with him. But between chapter 12 and chapter 15, we find, that's right, chapters 13 and 14, an interlude involving Abram's nephew Lot. Maybe he's the one through whom Abram can claim a great nation of descendants. In chapter 13, Abram and Lot are in the land God promised to Abram, and they quickly work out that, well, this land ain't big enough for the both of us. And so Abram gives Lot the choice of land. And Lot leaves for the better looking land to the southwest near Sodom and Gomorrah. More about them in another sermon. But for us today, it's enough to observe that Lot is not driven out by Abram, but Abram is left with the promised land to himself. In chapter 14, Abram rescues Lot from some local kings and then rejects any reward out of the spoils of this war. He's perhaps now worried about reprisal attacks from the local defeated militia. And so we come to chapter 15. The Bible reading is from Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can you give me? What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, 
I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these, all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Thanks, Ness. Let's, let's scan back to chapter 1, verse 1. God tells Abram not to be afraid because God is his shield and his very great reward. Don't be afraid. Why? Well, Abram's just had a, a military set to with the local kings. And God promises to be Abram's shield. God promises to protect Abram. Yet again, we see in the Bible, God gives reasons for the commands he makes. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. And secondly, I am your very great reward. Abram rejected any reward after rescuing Lot. And now God promises to be his reward. But God's promises, including that of being a great reward, all hang on Abram having a son and heir of his own. He's now over 80 years of age. His wife is barren. And in verses 2 and 3, Abram puts this question to God, who in verse 5 took Abram outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And this makes us ask the question, is God the great promise maker also the great promise keeper? And so we come to one of the most important verses of the Bible, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Pure and simple, this is about taking God at his word. And as we follow this trajectory through the rest of the Bible, the question for you and me is, 
will we also take God at his word? Abram trusted that God meant what he said and that God said what he meant. And the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Let's take a moment to unpack those two words so we are clear while we're still on this launch pad of Scripture. Righteousness. This is a declaration that you have met a particular standard of behaviour. In this case, it's God's standard of behaviour, which is ethical and moral perfection in every way. And credited. We know this word from a dividend imputation or franking credits. You receive a dividend and you get the credit for any tax the company has paid. You've done nothing other than look to the company to pay you a dividend, but you get everything. Abram had done nothing other than believe the Lord and he was credited as being perfect in God's sight, which is what every person needs to have uh, a, a right relationship with God now and forever. In verse 7, God repeated his promise of land. And in verse 8, Abram asked God how he could be sure that God would keep his promise. Then in verse 9, this crucial chapter gets really weird really quickly. Have a look at verse 9. So the Lord said to Abram, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him cut them in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. Forget your tadakan at Christmas lunch. This is a cow, a goat, a sheep, a dove and a pigeon meat fest. But not one inside the other. Abram cuts the animals in half and places them in pairs to create an aisle of meat. Now, everything I've shared so far is right there for us to read in the pages of Genesis 12 through to 15. And what I'll say now doesn't come from the Bible, but from some notes in my study Bible. Historians have identified several cultures from the time and region of Abram. That's the ancient Near East, if you're playing along at home on Google. Uh, several cultures from the time and place of Abram that feature the killing of animals as part of a ceremony involved in the making of a treaty. And the way it works is that the two parties to the treaty, the covenant, would walk up the meat aisle. Each party symbolically saying, if I breach the contract in any way, let the fate of these slaughtered animals fall on me. And in verse 12, Abram fell asleep and God spoke to him again. Verse 13. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In his sleep... God foretold 400 years of foreign slavery for Abram's descendants. But they would come out of that slavery with, verse 14, great possessions. And this squares with the historical narrative of the next book of the Bible, Exodus, 
with the Israelites who by then numbered hundreds of thousands escaping Egypt after the ten plagues with the Egyptians literally throwing their jewellery at them to encourage them to leave quickly. Verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites, the local inhabitants, has not yet reached its full measure. Now remember, this is all happening in the promised land. And what we see here is that the, the curtain is pulled open, just a crack. And as it's pulled open, we gain insight into God's patience, his justice and his sovereignty. We know that over the intervening centuries between this night and when Joshua would lead Abram's descendants across the Jordan back into this promised land, that the inhabitants of this land that Abram was sleeping on that very night, they developed a deplorable morality. Murder, rape, child sacrifice, it was Lord of the Flies stuff. And God told Abram that those people groups were going to be dispossessed of their land as an act of divine punishment, which would allow God at the same time to keep his promise to Abram. And so we see here that God's justice is not unhinged. Rather, he is patient. He is slow to become angry. And when he does give expression to his anger, unlike you and me, it is always proportional. The punishment always fits the crime. Never too much, never too little. And we see that God is so sovereign, so in control, he can be just in punishing the Amorites for turning a blind eye to that sort of brutality and oppression is not justice. And he can be faithful to his promises at the same time. And verse 17, here's what happened next to Abram that night. And it pushes us forward to where God's justice and his faithfulness to his promises to Abram would meet. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen... A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of, the Egypt, river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, to land of, land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and so on. And God walked up the meat aisle. God passed between those pieces of carcass, alone. Abram was still fast asleep. In so doing, God symbolically declared that if he broke his covenant with Abram, then the fate of those slaughtered animals would fall upon him. And if Abram or any of Abram's descendants broke the covenant, the fate of the animals would fall not on Abram and his children, but on God. And some 2,000 years later, the full consequence of covenant disobedience by Abram and his descendants fell onto God the Son. He was cut off from God the Father. He drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs on the cross and he died so that Abram's children would not have to. And that is why Genesis 15 verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Like the franking credit, Abram did nothing 
but he and his children get everything. And that, friends, that is grace. That is undeserved kindness. And that sets the trajectory for the rest of the Bible. And this verse is quoted word for word in three New Testament chapters to show three implications of this wonderful verse. Let me show them to you quickly. The first is in Romans chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul writes in verse 22, It was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Genesis 15 was written for us. Genesis 15 was written for me. Genesis 15 was written for you. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you see, you too can have God's righteousness credited to you. Uh, the second place in the New Testament that an implication of Genesis 15 is drawn out is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul again writes, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abram. All nations will be blessed through you. Genesis 15 verse 6 means that those who believe are children of Abraham. If your trust is in the Lord God who raised Jesus from the dead, God's righteousness, his ethical and moral perfection has been credited to you. And because it doesn't depend on you doing anything, but on what God in Jesus has done, you can be rock solid sure of your eternal future because you are in a right relationship with God now and forever. Your eternal future is anchored in what God promised to Abram and in what God did on the cross. And the third implication the New Testament gives us is in the book of James chapter 2. James, the brother of Jesus. Let me read from verse 23. He writes, You see that Abram's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. James uses the word faith to speak of Abraham's belief. And here we see that faith must lead to actions. Now we're saved by faith alone, that's true. But saving faith is never alone. It always leads to a changed life. Abram heard God's promises and call on his life and he got up and he left for the promised land trusting in what God had said to him. Faith in the Lord God who raised Jesus from the dead always leads to actions. And how could it not? You know that our God will keep every single one of his promises to you. So you are set free from watching your back, liberated from the need to earn your salvation. You are liberated to live for him who loves you and has saved you. Your faith and your actions, like Abram's, will work together like a hand in a glove 
the, uh, the cart of Abraham's works was being pulled forward by the horse of his faith. The challenge for us is to make sure we keep the horse before our cart. Craig, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Sure. So let me retrieve the phone. <laughs> Thank you. Be gentle with for me. For that message, sure. Okay, the first question is, uh, why did God choose... Why did God choose the image of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch to appear uh, passing between the offerings? Yeah, why, why did God choose the, the image of the smoking torch and a fire pot? Um, I had the privilege of going to Bible college for four years, um, studying the Bible in the original languages, and my considered answer to this question is, dunno. Um, bigger brains than I have got lots of different um, thoughts as to why God might have chosen uh, this particular image. But my encouragement to us today is let's not lose the detail of this particular tree for the forest. This is God uh, making promises to Abram and promising right there that he would deal with all of our sins. And he kept his promise 2,000 years later in the person of Jesus. Thanks, Craig. Um, you spoke about this. You made reference to the Amorites. Uh, the question here is, what's going on? Has God abandoned the Amorites as a lost cause? I love what you said about proportional justice. Yeah, has God abandoned the Amorites? I don't believe he has. Uh, we, we read later in the New Testament that God longs for everyone to turn from their sins, their covenant disobedience, to use the language of, of Genesis 15, and put their trust in God and choose to live his way. And uh, the, the Amorites had free choice to, to run their lives, run their culture, how they saw fit. And they chose uh, a, a terrible path. And there we, we, we see the consequences of a life lived apart from, from God. You used the illustration of franking credits. And as a former accountant, I've never felt so alive. <laughs> I'm going to Google it when I get home. Um, you used that term to explain how God credited righteousness to Abram. Is there a danger we can take that illustration too far? Yes, there, there is. Um, any, any illustration that gets to the heart of the, the character of God and his promises that cover all of eternity are bound to break down if we over-egg them. And I think where, where that um, illustration breaks down is when, when you, um, you, you get a dividend from a company, that's because you've done something, you've made an investment, and you deserve the, the, the dividend. And if we push it too far, we might think if the forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus is like a franking credit, well, it's just a top-up. No, Jesus doesn't give us a, a top-up. Um, he, he is everything. And if we were to... to quantify the the franking credit we got from jesus in an excel spreadsheet you know how when you you might need to to widen your column to fit all the zeros uh, you can't make the column wide enough to fit all the zeros of the deposit that god in christ makes to your account uh, in jesus so don't, don't push the franking credit illustration too far well, thank you, Craig. Thank you very much. I'm glad that I don't need to understand franking credits or Excel spreadsheets uh, to enjoy the grace of God.